Health Power is sponsored by Morphus. Go to www.wearemorphus.com. I've never really thought about what is my food story until I read the amazing book by today's guest, Elise Muzella's Food Story, Rewrite the Way You Eat, Think, and Live. It is really a game changer. I would say a life-changing book because it really got me to dig into my food story, which has helped me see some unhealthy patterns in my life that I want to change. Elise Muzelas is a certified eating psychology and nutrition expert, creator of the Food Story Method and Platform, and host of the popular podcast, Once Upon a Food Story. As an author, speaker, and mind-body eating coach, Elise's mission is to empower people to create a healthier relationship with food and their bodies by changing what's on their plate and what's in their mind. Elise, so excited to have you on the program. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I can't wait to dig in and talk to you about my food story, maybe your food story. Absolutely. I want to jump in to your food story, which was pretty intense, and what finally clicked for you. So tell us about that, and then we'll just go from there. Well, you know your food story is a lifetime of of meals and messages and memories, and there are lots of chapters and um different characters and villains and heroes. So I'll just share a couple of pivotal moments. And then if there's something that you, stood out to you from the book that I didn't, don't say, please feel free to interrupt or, you know, let, let me know that you want me to talk about it. So I grew up in Los Angeles, which I think that in and of itself is tells you a lot about the theme of my food story. And one of my first memories of, not, not one of my first memories of food, but one of my first memories of, you know, just thinking about food in a more troublesome way, I guess, was when I was nine years old, I went to the doctor's office and there was like a lot of hushed conversation between the adults. And I was told that if I lost five pounds, I could get my ears pierced. So back then, you know, the doctors were the ones piercing your ears and I had been begging for it for years. So um, that was, you know, my first exposure to like going on a diet, eating less, exercising more, that whole mentality. And at the same time, my dad was having issues with sleep eating. And so it had absolutely nothing to do with me or my brother or sister, but he, in order to, you know, prevent him, him from sleeping, he would lock the refrigerator with a padlock every single night and, um, and also lock our pantry. And, you know, it's, I bring this up because he wasn't trying to send us any sort of negative messages. He was just doing something that was going to make him feel better because he would wake up in the morning and have absolutely zero recollection of his habit. Yes. So, but if you put those things together, it sent a message that food was best control and kept under lock and key. And so that really was the beginning of a life a long time struggle with, you know, feeling comfortable around food, feeling like I did, you know, I really, my story was all about control. And I now say I had like eating perfectionism, you know, I tried to do everything the right way. And that probably stemmed from trying to please all the adults, you know, who, or the adult, the doctor who told me that I needed to lose weight. So that stuck with me for a long time. And it came with me to, um, you know, I went to an all-girls school, and then I was in Washington, D.C. for law school, and my boyfriend at the time 
and I went out for a celebratory dinner when I was graduating from law school. And, um, you know, I, it was a famous restaurant. It took three months to get reservations. And it was the kind of food that wasn't on my, and I'm making air quotes, plan. You know, it was very heavy French food. And so I was visibly uncomfortable. I was, this isn't what I want to eat. This isn't how I eat. And instead of just being relaxed and enjoying the moment and thinking it's one meal, it was, you know, a very, you could see by my, probably by my body language. And um, so at some point during the dinner, he just said, I can't do this anymore. I can't watch you. And we were really serious. We had talked about getting married, having a family. And he said, I just can't see you and it's affecting me and how I'm enjoying or not enjoying the meal. And he broke up with me at dinner. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, well, there's a good, like a happy part to that story because that person is now my husband, but we did break up for a while. And I went back to California. I had a, um, a, a worked with the Department of Justice and had a clerkship um, in LA. Anyway, but I went back, you know, under different circumstances, and that's when I really began to realize that it wasn't that my own the way I related to food wasn't just about me. You know, that it was affecting, and that's really like I think the seeds were planted for food story because we're born into a food story and we pass on a food story not just to our children but to those who were around, you know, and who were talking to about food. And I that's when I really began to heal my relationship with food. So um, fast forward, and um, are you do you want me to stop at all? No, 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 keep going. It's great. Okay, so fast forward, you know, lots of meals, lots of, you know, learning to cook and feeling much more comfortable and better, and I then at pivoted careers, and, you know, I had kids, and I was just like, you know, I was interested, more passionate about health and wellness, and people were asking me about it, and it ended up, you know, switching careers and pursuing, uh, you know, like create, starting my own business, working with clients, getting certified in holistic nutrition, and then... I, in, you know, I've been, was working really with what, helping people eat better with what was on their plate. But I was, there were all these really incredible, very sophisticated people who were, you know, knew so much about nutrition, but even like helping them with what, I knew there was a missing ingredient. And that missing ingredient really is about our mindset. And so I ended up getting certified in eating psychology. And not only did I realize that I still had some healing to do, but it also gave me the tools to help everyone else. And where I was struggling and not realizing it, because on the outside, I was the picture of health. I was putting all this pressure on myself to be, you know, a role model for my family and my growing community. But inside, I was struggling because I was like, is this healthy? It was probably borderline what we now know as orthorexia, you know, but right. Yeah. And, and, but I was never diagnosed technically with it, but I'm I know that that's what I had um, back then. And then, you know, so it was just a lot of pressure. But what the the pivotal moment for me was learning about the hardcore science of what happens when you're thinking stressful thoughts, whether they're true or not, while you're eating. And just to get a tiny bit into it is if I'm thinking, should I be eating this? Or how can I be a better role model? Or, you know, creating the perfect plates for my kids or, you know, or like, beautiful recipes and, you know, is this on, you know, is this healthy? Is this good enough? All that stress I had internally was a 
affecting my cortisol levels and then therefore affecting my metabolism, my digestion, my nutrient assimilation, not to mention the pleasure from a meal. And so learning about like the sympathetic nervous system, which is our stress response, versus when you're eating in a parasympathetic parasympathetic state, which is the rest and digest, it was enough for me to say, hey, wake up. You don't put this pressure on yourself because all that kale and quinoa and green smoothies and whatever else I was eating, I wasn't getting the full nutritional value of the meal because of the stress I was putting on myself. So that was really like that was such a huge wake-up call for me. And every time I work with a client or I do a talk um, or an event when we had more events, you know, um, I talk about this because that's it's in our control. Even if we've been having this soundtrack for a long time, we get to control what the soundtrack says. And realizing that I was negatively impacting all this beautiful food, you know, the way that I was assimilating and digesting and this beautiful food really, it, it was a huge, huge moment for me. Wow. It's yeah. so nice that you're able to make that change. And everything you talked about, you share in the book, which is so incredible. I have a very complicated food story, which we'll get to, but I want to talk about these eight disempowering food stories. I think I related to all of them. I just want to go over a couple. You've got the story of perfection, similar themes, rigidity, tension, control, uh, the story of shame, guilt, disgust, hiding, secrecy. I had a lot of the secrecy. Uh, The story of confusion, information overload, overthinking, of course, escape, numbing, and not enoughness, and overwhelm. I mean, they're so intricate, and yet I think so many relate to this and are actually, this this is what makes up their food story is a little bit of everything. All right, just to give a little context, like those are the themes that there are disempowering stories that pe- that I found in, in years of working with people were that um, that are very common. And when you ask someone, tell me about your food story, I mean, how do you distill, you know, years and years of how, you know, your relationship with food or how you relate to food? And so I had to give people a starting point, you know, and, and when you start thinking about one theme and how it's been relevant and prevalent in your life, then it leads to, you know, thinking it, it just wakes you up to, oh, wait, but I also was like this, or maybe in my 20s, this was really, um, you know, I struggled with the, you know, story of perfection, whereas in, you know, later in life, the story of later was um, more my theme. So I, I feel like people shouldn't get locked into like, this is, I'm only one way, or this is only one story. And it, and for most people, there are a few stories that they relate to. And at different points in your life, different seasons, you might have, a you know, you might be telling yourself different stories. So... Yeah, it's true. Well, the secrecy was because my mother was a health food nut, but she would hide cookies and space food sticks. As if anyone out there, my husband thought I made it up. I grew up in California. I, I know that was, yeah, I grew yeah, up see? in LA. Yeah, see, he grew up on the East Coast. He's like, I've never heard of that. You're making that up. I said, I'm not making them up. My mom used to hide them in her closet. I used to stack chairs and pillows and climb up when I was six years old. One of my most guilty memories of my life is letting my brother get blamed for taking them. 
and he got in trouble because he was, you know, my mom was not nice to him. And I thought, oh my God, and now I'm getting him in trouble when he's already always in trouble. I thought, well, I just, I was like the baby of the family. I was the perfect one. I never got in any trouble, but I was flipping hungry. My food story is about deprivation and secrecy and rigidity. My mother had chronic illness. This is going to sound so awful and I feel badly, but she, I don't tell very many people this, but she would make dinner and she was a terrible cook. She barely used any spice. Everything was bland and terrible, but I was hungry. And she would say, just, just take one portion. We need enough for tomorrow. Now, my father was an ophthalmologist. We were doing fine financially, but she didn't feel well. She didn't want to have to do three kids. She didn't want to have to do more cooking. So like, let's make the meal last. Let's make this one, which I look back and I think, oh my God, that's so insane. And so I would go to my best friend's house and her older brother and sister used to call me mini mooch because I would literally like go through their cupboards, go through the, I was hungry. I'd go to my next door neighbor's house to look for food. I don't think my, my mother was so wrapped up in her chronic illness and she also had depression and anxiety. I don't think she realized the effect it was having on us. My sister and I, this shows how crazy it was when we were little. She's a year and a half older than I am. We were maybe six and seven. We would play this game. (laughs) This is so crazy. Where we would flip through magazines like Better Homes and Gardens or whatever it was. And anytime there was an ad for food, we would like pretend we were eating it. We'd be like, touch the page and go, I've never told anyone that in my life. Oh my gosh. It's pretty insane. Yeah. Sorry, mom. She's been gone for 26 years. She died in the 90s. But I got to share these things because they weigh on me, you know? I was was just about to say the first thing that I want to mention is that when we dig into our food stories, you know, oftentimes it's our parents or whoever the main grandparents, caregivers, they, they had best their best intentions. Like you're like, you realize now that even though the message to you or the way it impacted you physiologically was like, you were starving basically. Um, it wasn't, your mom wasn't trying to starve you, you know? So, so, but by you telling the story or writing out that story or you can release it because that's stuck inside of you. And the thing you mentioned about your brother, have you ever apologized? I have. He didn't even remember. That's what was so funny because he, you know, my, he was challenging, I'll say. And my mother had had a very challenging mother. And I think she took out a lot of her resentment and anger on him. And so it was just this volatile, horrible situation between the two of them. Although, ironically, when she was dying of cancer, he took care of her last nine months of her life. So it was a real turnaround. But at any rate, he was always getting yelled at. So he's like, I don't even remember that. I was like, oh my God, myself up for years over that. Isn't it amazing what we can do to ourselves? But it probably was cathartic for you to just say, I'm sorry, even though it didn't affect him. I interviewed my brother on my podcast and you just made me realize that he was talking about how he is scarred from being blamed for eating the middle of the Oreos. You know, and I kind of had a vague, like I had a vague recollection of it, but for him, it was like, I didn't do that. And I got blamed. And to this day, it still bothers him. And, you know, he's a grown man, you know, and he, he just said it bothers him that he got blamed. And he wants to know, like, he wants resolution for the, the middle of the Oreos. I want to know who did it. No, Do you have other siblings? Could it have been your dad? Because the padlock and maybe the, those weren't. 
I don't locked know. up as tight or something. Wow. But but it like we laugh so. I mean, it's not funny, but we laughed so hard when he brought it up because it. I mean, it it it's so vivid for him, you know. Oh, and yeah. it's amazing how our memories, like things that you know, I'm not talking about trauma in the big T way, but. There are incidences that happen around food that are traumatic, you know, meaning that they stay with us, that they change us. You know, I, I've ha I had a podcast guest who talked about when she got, this isn't really food, but it affected her relationship with food or her food story. She got on a bus it, in kindergarten and the boys teased her about her body. And she had a lifelong struggle as, as an emotional eater that started then yeah yeah i'm sure so oftentimes we can trace an unwanted health and eating challenge you know or a pattern that we you know are not proud of or that we know isn't serving us well to a particular point in time not maybe it's an incident a point you know like a parent's divorce a move you know and there are things that just they you know, that they affected our relationship with food. So, um, like the bus story I told you. And oftentimes when I work with people, I'll ask them, when did it all begin? You know, was there something else going on? Because so often, and I know you know this, it's not really about the food. Yeah, it's so true. Well, you know, it's interesting with that story. I had something happen to me in sixth grade that really scarred me. Uh, it's in my book, Clean Eating, Dirty Sex, in the memoir section. And I joke that if I didn't have food sensitivities, most people listen know I do have a lot of food sensitivities. So food now is is just another, it's still a you know tough terrain. I would have, I, I turned to sex and I had like sex love addiction issues. I would have been a food addict. If I could eat anything I want, I'd literally would eat like 20 peanut butter sandwiches a day. I would eat a cake a day. I would, like, so it's not funny. I know that sounds off the lap. It's interesting how we're shaped, right? And how those things that happen when we're young, the trauma can put us in different directions. And I never really thought about until just now, like for years I had, once I was, you know, older and I could, I would save all my babysitting money or my allowance and I would go and buy my own food or go out to eat or I didn't have to rely on my mom who wasn't doing a lot of cooking. You know, I was able to have that freedom with food until I was 25. Mm. And I remember I ate corn one day and I felt like I swallowed a box of nails and I'm like, shit, because my mother started getting food issues when she was around 40, but she got covered in rashes from head to toe. She lost like 25 pounds, which was not good. She was already skinny. And I always was like, I don't want to turn. I don't want to have her problems. I don't want to have her health problems. I don't want. And then all of a sudden I'm like, God, I just wanted some freedom around food, you know? So just, mm -hmm. I hope I'm not talking too much, but it's really no, just, I geez, it brought up a lot. Like, damn it, this isn't fair. I had a whole childhood of not having control over food. <laughs> well, adulthood full of it. You know what? Um, you're, I, I don't know your whole story and I can't wait to dig into it if, we, you know, either on my podcast or sure. if you want to share more here. But what I thought of right away when you mentioned that you, you know, there are a lot of foods that you can't eat and that you, you're sort of like process of elimination and it's, that maybe there's a little bit of a narrative flip, you know, like flipping the script and changing your inner narrative around it. Like, let's focus on what you can have and get excited about what you can have. And it's funny because it reminds, not funny, but you're never too late, old or too, it's never too late to change your food story. So I had an 80-year-old man work with me and I, that's not my typical client 
demographic. And he came, his son actually called. And that's why I was like, I have to work with him because how beautiful is that, that his son wanted to help him at 80 years old. And his story is that he had diabetes for, has had diabetes for 40 years and for 40 years it was, you can't, you can't, you can't. And nobody ever asked him, well, what do you want? You know, what do you want to eat? Let's talk about all the things you can eat or, you know, figure out a way so that his blood sugar balancing. And he cried because mm -hmm. for 40 years he lived with, and so it just made me realize like everybody had, for sure, everybody has a food story, right? And it's never too late to change it. So maybe even writing out a list of all the things you like and trying to figure out how you can, ways that you can have those things or all the things that don't bother you and get excited about that. Drinking aloe vera daily is a great way to help your digestion and balance your stomach acidity naturally. Yes, you heard that right. You should drink your aloe. Our wonderful partners, Lily of the Desert, have been making the highest quality aloe vera products since 1971. When you drink their aloe daily, you can not only support your gut health, but it is clinically proven to boost your immune system, reduce toxins that prohibit nutrient absorption, increase your daily supplement absorption, and improve antioxidant support. Lily of the Desert's aloe juices and gels are the perfect addition to your favorite smoothie, or you can mix it with another juice. The aloe will help boost the nutrient absorption of those good-for-you ingredients. We love that they grow the aloe themselves organically, and from field to bottle, oversee all processing and manufacturing to help maintain quality and lower cost to you. They offer a full range of products, including USDA organic aloe juices and gels, condition-specific herbal formulas, and of course, aloe topicals for your glowing skin. Check them out at your favorite local health food store or on Amazon, or you can visit lilyofthedesert.com to learn more. Yeah, no, I think it's true. I think for me, a lot of it's about attitude. And I think, again, it goes back to, it's, I find it more challenging, not that it's undoable, clearly, but because of my childhood, right? And because of the issues yeah. with food I already had. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely a lot of things I can eat, and they're great, and I love them. And then sometimes, you know, like, okay, so I love Ezekiel breads. They have a, they have a cinnamon raisin toast. I like that, too. I know exactly. And I, I, I realize I could eat that once a week without feeling lousy. For about two months. <laughs> Last week I had it, and the next day it took me literally, thank God it was a Saturday. It took me two hours to get out of bed. Like my head was so heavy, and I was like looking at all the other things I ate, and I was like, damn it. I thought, okay, and this is what happens with me. I don't know if other people, it's not an allergy with food sensitivity. I can get away with things for a while, and then my system's like, F you, you, you went overboard. Well, if you can find like a rhythm that makes you feel comfortable, you right. know, so um, when you were talking about the Ezekiel bread, there's a, so a saying, I know, the dose makes the poison. Oh, you know, God, absolutely. You know, and so you probably have a threshold with it, or maybe it depends on other things that are going on in your life. And then the other thing, which I'm so guilty of this, is that it's not like headaches may not always be triggered because of food. I mean, I know it's easy to want to like, and that's your go-to because that's how it's been. But maybe there's, there we are living under a lot of stress, you know, like maybe there are other things or, you know, I, or you didn't drink enough water or like, so I would, before just pointing the finger to the food, also explore what other contributing factors could have been involved. 
Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is the amount of stress it puts me under. I hadn't really thought about until I read your book, and I was like, oh, crap. I'm stressing out all the time about it. That's just making my digestion worse and everything else. Talk a little bit more about that. I thought that was so fascinating. You know, it's funny you bring that up because that is absolutely, that was huge for me in my food story, and I mentioned it already, but it's a chapter seven of my book, Don't Bring Stress to the Table, because we all have these, like, inner dialogues, the inner narratives that aren't always very kind and there's a lot of stress associated with food. So like just to give you, use you as an example, when you're eating the Ezekiel bread, are you fully enjoying it? Are you saying, I wonder if I'm going to be reacting to it? Is this going to make me bloated? Am I going to have a headache? Should I, shouldn't I? You know, that is stressful and you don't even realize you're doing it because you've probably been having this conversation with yourself for years, right? right? So I I really want people to get connected to what that inner dialogue is. And the first way to really be in touch with it is to not multitask while eating, to not to be still while you're eating. I've been saying this a lot, but we tend to eat and. So we eat and drive, we eat and watch the news, we eat and check our emails, we eat and, I don't know what else, you know, scroll through social media. We barely ever just eat. And so just, it, you know, I know we live in, you know, crazy busy times and it's not realistic every single meal to give your undivided attention or maybe that is hard or boring or whatever, but try it. And so just try it so you can create that awareness as to what conversation you're having with yourself around food. That's the well, first thing. So creating that awareness is huge. Well, it's funny because I'm so good at that. Like with the toast, I'll literally yell out because my daughter, she's 17. We're very close, but she has to tell me like every single thought she's having at all times, which I know p- moms are probably going, why are you complaining? No, but it's too, sometimes it's too much. And I'll say, honey, I'm making my toast now. I'm going to eat it mindfully. So please just give me five minutes. Just no matter what, just please. <laughs> and I will close my eyes and I literally will every bite. I eat slow. And I savor. Now, I don't do that with all my meals, but if it's something special, especially something that could trigger me, I do that. I love And it's that. lovely. And then if I do feel lousy, I'm like, yeah, but it was so worth it <laughs> Like to really just slow it down. And, you know, and most of the time she, she'll respect my toast time. I just made that up. But I think I'm going to say, honey, it's toast time. <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. Toast time. Toast time and yeah. I have that um, a really big ritual around my matcha. You know, it's my time where, you know, even the whole, you know, experience of making it puts me in a relaxed state and sitting down. I just, I, it's my time and nobody, no phones, nothing, you know, can be involved in that. But what I was going to say to you is that I do this chocolate meditation. I don't know. I love that. I love that. I've done that. Oh, it's amazing. But tell people about it. Right. So the chocolate meditation is really an exaggerated exercise so that people can understand the power of presence. So you don't have to do this with every single meal, but if you try it with chocolate, of course, you know, then it's, you realize how much you miss out on when you're not present, you know? So the chocolate meditation has you, you know, I have you bring all your senses to the table, like really smell it, bite it, you know, like notice all of it. And one of the things that I say in the meditation is to keep your mind on the bite, 
you're currently having, not think about the next one. And it's funny because I was trying to shorten it for a workshop I was doing, and I almost cut that out because I was like, you know, they still get the whole experience. I don't need to, you know, and I left it in. And afterwards, so many people raised their hands and said, wow, that really resonated me because whenever I'm eating, I'm always thinking about like, you know, the next one or another serving or should I or whatever. And so it's really about just staying where you are, keeping your body relaxed, noticing the like notes of the chocolate. You can do this with any food, but most people say they've never realized chocolate tastes like that. You know how it's you know, creamy and, you know, that they, they've never just eaten chocolate and, and felt as satisfied. And so imagine if you did that with your meals, you know, whatever it is you're eating, just try it so you can have that be your default. So, you know, sometimes you can't spend, you know, 10 minutes eating your lunch. You have to multitask at your desk, but Feel the difference and try to do that as much as possible. And it will connect you to your body. It will help you tune into your hunger and fullness cues. You know, it, it just, it does so much. And you may even realize, whoa, this sandwich I've been eating for however many years, I don't even really like it. You know, so it just, it kind of, it wakes you up. Yeah. It's funny because I did a chocolate meditation yesterday in my car because I knew I'm, no one's going to interrupt me. I love those, and I have nothing to do with this company, but I love Alter Ego. They make amazing chocolates, and they make a truffle. Oh, I savor it. You know, I want to just commend you again on your book. I love a book that has worksheets and has activities and has things to do. And you have this great, your current food story, and you have, when I think about food in my body, I feel... Uh, in moments when I'm feeling sad, stressed, or worn down, food becomes whatever. And, and you kind of go on. I feel guilty when. I become anxious when. And then at the end of the book, you have where you're writing your new food story. And there's so much brilliance in between. And I think one of the things, too, I love is you talk about that humans can change. You write one of the most extraordinary things about human being is that your, or your, excuse me, your beliefs can and do change. So talk to us about that. So we we all have these beliefs, you know, and sometimes it's easier or more comfortable to stick with them, you know, because it's harder to change. But um, this is about anything. Like it could be around food and, or it could be about your money story or your sex story or whatever. You know, I'm sure you probably talk about this even with in, in your book too. So um, with food, we, we have these beliefs that oftentimes come even from childhood, from messages in the media, and they sort of stick with us. And we, we like, I'll give an example that maybe some people can relate to. Like I, you know, a lot of people for a time thought bananas had too much sugar. And so even if you're like, oh, I'm done with that whole low carb thing, it's not for me anymore. In the back of your mind, it's there still, you know, like you still hear that belief or, you know, this has too many carbs or whatever it might be. You know, we all have those beliefs around food. And I give a lot of examples, but, um, but the thing is, is that we don't oftentimes connect, like we don't even realize that we have these beliefs, you know, they're, and, but they're influencing our choices. 
And so I have, this is just in chapter four, I believe, you know, the limiting beliefs for people to really like peel back those layers and get connected to their limiting beliefs or to their beliefs around food. And that's part of understanding your food story. And then, you know, we think, oh, limiting beliefs, they're outdated or whatever, but even people who are really in tune with like current, you know, wellness and nutrition philosophies, they, they have those limiting beliefs too. So it's not just people who are stuck only in old ways you know it's you you your limiting beliefs oftentimes they've been with us for a long time but they can also be something like at one time you tried keto or paleo and i'm not i'm not at bashing any sort of diet but that'll stick with you right you know yeah. just about whatever sort of messages about carbs or grains or you know and, and it just it's there it's always there. And so we have to do things to release these stories that we've been living with and that we've told ourselves. So one of the ways which you mentioned in the beginning when you were asking me about this was to write things out. It is such a, it is such a release to get it out onto paper or type it or whatever, however you do it. But that um, gets it out of your body. Yeah. It's to so talk true. About it. Yeah. Oh, journaling's amazing, isn't it? It is so amazing. And, and people will say, oh, I don't have time or I'm not, I'm not into journaling. It can be as simple as writing a few words, you know, and then those words, like, let's just say you have a sleep issue, right? You have a hard time going to sleep and your brain is going, 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 do a brain dump right before you go to sleep. Like the things that are going to stress you out or, you know, before you sit down to a meal to limit the sort of stress you bring to the table, write a few things out so that they're outside, out of your head. They're not like circling around, you know, and then interrupting your meal. So yeah, journaling is amazing. And um, so it's just the act of writing, even if you don't want to do it in a journal. Yeah. I th I've never written down the stuff that I told you. And even though there's memoir portions in my book that didn't even come up, I, I, I think it was it's, I mean, there is painful stuff in the book. There's also a lot of humor too, but yeah, that was tough. I want to talk about how much I love, 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 love the way you talk about foods and ones that can make you happy or focused or radiant or strong or comforted or sensual or calm. That was brilliant. And it was so interesting. So you talk about beets and orange pumpkins and yellow curries and green, green veggies and blue and purple berries for happy and anti-inflammatory spices for focus and feeling feeling radiant, right, through water and to feel strong with probiotic-rich foods and comforted by foods high in potassium like bananas and sensual i love this because i have a whole book about that a watermelon pomegranate i love that citrulline and to feel calm these are just some of them you have a whole bunch uh chamomile tea dark chocolate cbd i thought that was so cool i've never and again thousands and thousands of books i've read i have never seen it that way so that's really cool how did you come up with that so i was thinking about the reader and the reader, like you even shared how you have, you think about everything can, food can do to you, you know? And so I wanted to flip the script and have people think about everything food can do for you. So while, you know, you, you can't take away world problems and, you know, these are just tools, right? In, in your right. calming toolbox or, you know, or foods that can support feeling more sensual or radiant. And so I 
created recipes and there's a lot of science actually to back it up. And, and the thing about it is that, you know, I'm, at first I didn't, I was unsure about it because I'm like, I don't want to add any sort of rules, you know, for people who've been following rules and that's been their food story. But this is really empowering. You know, this is part of picking up the pen. So you can say, you know, I, I feel really anxious and I feel stressed. And just like you would might take CBD or, you know, magnesium, you can have foods that have, you know, nutrients that can support a calmer feeling. So I'm not, I'm not treating any sort of, you know, um, issues at all, but I'm saying if you want to feel this way, you know, which is, you know, very proactive instead of being reactive. Well, I love it because in my book, I have a whole ABC dictionary of foods that are scientifically shown to be good for your sexual health. They've got the arginine, the citrulline and all the antioxidants and the flavonoids. And, and so I thought that was really cool. I thought that's so much fun. The other thing I love too is Again, there's so much. You have to come back because we're like barely scratching the surface. Wait, I want to ask how I did on the sensual foods. Oh, you were right on. Yes. That's actually one of my favorite sections in the book. The recipes are phenomenal. I took two recipes from each. I made a few and they're all amazing. But anyway, go on. Sorry. Tell me what you made. Of course I want to hear. It is in the Radiant. Parchment baked fish. I love parchment baked fish. You know what's so funny? And I know I mentioned this recently on another show. I would walk by the fish counter at the store all the time. And then all of a sudden, I was like, what the hell? I got to start eating fish. And I started doing the parchment fish. But yours is so good with herbs, zucchini, and cherry tomatoes. That's in the Radiant. Uh, and one that I want to make in the Radiant that I haven't yet is a Mediterranean, Mediterranean collard wraps because I love romesco. In the Happy Bean Tostadas with shredded kale, cabbage, and slaw. And avocado. That looks amazing. And focused, I love shakshuka. That's a great recipe. That looks amazing. Now, I'm allergic to eggs. I have um, instructions on how to make it with tofu. Yes. Which would be really, unless you can't have soy. But that, and you know, buy the organic non-GMO. So, you know, you're not reactive to anything. But that, that's a beautiful recipe because it's made in a skillet too and just you put that right in the oven and a lot of people you know it's not just a brunch or breakfast they, they'll do it for dinner oh that's nice Ooh, see i love that there's a restaurant in my town that's known for amazing mediterranean food and they make a very good shakshuka and they put it over quinoa mm, they have an egg on top good. but i can order it without the egg and it's it's really good i also love in comfort i made this for my daughter uh, the vegan mac and cheese with butternut squash sauce i love butternut squash but it does have cashews in that recipe but cashews are so amazing for a cheese and i'm doing air quotes substitute yeah that's that was a fun recipe to create too because you're getting the vegetables in the mac and cheese which you don't normally get and like you said it's like all whole foods exactly that sounds fun yes i also um i made the sensual the spiced edible chocolate chip cookie dough i believe that was almond flour right the no that one has um it has chickpeas which i know that probably sounds weird but you absolutely do not taste them and the reason it went in the sensual sections is because for two reasons one i thought it's a fun thing to share Yes, you eat right out of the jar, but it doesn't have to be in the, you can make it for yourself and it's fine. Um, But also the spices in that recipe were all, you know, 
foods to help, spices to help you feel sensual. And the calm, so next time it's corn day, even though now I don't go crazy, uh, popcorn with turmeric seasoning blend. And you've got a roasted root vegetable and chickpea soup. I can eat that. That looks really good. That is a really good soup. That'll, that's a good fall soup. But if you look at the photo in the book, it's really oh, pretty. The photos are gorgeous. I also noticed the chili spice chocolate tartlets in the sensual section. Well, chocolate and chilies are both really, you know, sensual supporting foods. Yes, they absolutely are. And what are some of the recipes that I didn't mention that you really like? Um, the first recipe in the book is the happiness breakfast bowl. And I like it for many different reasons. The ingredients are great. And most people tend to go sweet at breakfast. This is a more savory breakfast. But the reason I love it so much, well, one of the reasons, aside from it tasting good, it has a really nice tahini sauce. And um, it's so flexible. You can, If you eat eggs, you put eggs on it, smoke salmon, whatever, lox or whatever. You know, there's many different, you can have a vegan version. So I love the, the flexibility of it. But this was a recipe inspired by my son. And when I think about, you know, where I was in my food story and to where I am, one of the the motivators for me to, aside from just creating peace within myself, but I thought about my kids, you know, that I didn't want to pass on an unhealthy food story. And while I have not been a perfect mother. And of course we all like, you know, there are things we would do different or I am so proud of the way that my sons are around food and the skills that they have and how they value where it comes from and cook with whole ingredients. They're both unbelievable in the kitchen. So, you know, like that recipe represents that for me, you know, because it was inspired by my older son who incidentally was also on the very first episode of Chopped. Oh my gosh. I have to look that up. That's so exciting. How old are your sons? Well, now they're older. They're in their 20s. But when he did that show, he was like, it was a few days before his 17th birthday. Oh, I also love in the book that you have a whole chapter on food prep, stocking your kitchen. I mean, this book, it's, it just has so much incredible information. Give me one second. I'm going to, and again, worksheets in every chapter. You know, I, I, I think that it's easy to be, you know, philosophical and have people dig into their past, but I also wanted to give people practical tips and tools so there could be action, you know, and it's not just like thinking and like, okay, I'm encouraging, you know, that there's like, you get in your kitchen. One of my favorite chapters is um, how to make your kitchen an inspiring place to be. I think that, you know, that it, it's, it's all about, and it's related to your food story because if you walk in and you're seeing like protein powder from a detox, let's say that you did and you feel like in your mind, oh, I didn't fall through with it. Why can't I fall through with anything? And it's the first thing you like even subconsciously, like it's, it's there in the peripheral, you know, your peripheral vision. That's going to affect you. Or if you walk into your kitchen and it's like just chaotic, you know, I always a clean space makes all the difference. Like a cluttered space is a cluttered mind. You know, it's true with your desk and it's the same thing. If you want to think clearly and make better choices with food, you want to tidy up your space, you know, and have things you love in there and feel inspiring and lemons on the counter or whatever, you know? So there's a chapter on how to do that. And I still, I, I love, I do that, that exercise time and time again. 
Yeah, it's so funny because my husband is such a neat freak. And I I used to not be. And now I'm becoming one. And he, he like spent all his time cleaning the kitchen. And then the next day, the next evening, it was messy again because I just had made dinner. He goes, hon, I just cleaned the kitchen. I said, hon, I literally just cooked dinner. And I, you know, I used different pans and this. And I put something in the oven. I said, Let, why don't we eat? And then we I'll do the dishes. But it's just so funny because he's like, I just cleaned this. I'm like, yeah, you know how a kitchen works, right? Like, <laughs> You use it, gets dirty, then you clean it again. I, before I get, we go, and I want you to come back, I love this old story, new story. Old story. I'm so confused and exhausted by everything I hear, read, and have been told. There's so much noise. Oh, we didn't even talk about food noise. And I don't even know what to believe. New story. I can turn down the food noise and tune into the expertise of my mind and body. That's me. And we'll get back to food noise in a second. I just want to read another one. I love this. One of them is reminding me of me. Old story. I am reactive about food and worry about what it will do to me. Will I feel bloated, tired, or even gain weight? New story. Before eating, I check in with myself and ask, how do I want to feel? Then I proactively choose food to support my desired mood, whether it's happy, focused, radiant, strong, comforted, sensual, or calm. There are ingredients and recipes to bring on that feeling. Oh, I love that. Okay, so empowering. Okay, tell us about food noise. Okay, sure. So we'll do the abbreviated version of food noise. Sure. But, okay, so food noise is everywhere, and it we're not going to get rid of it, but we can change the way that we respond to it. Um, so food noise is the messages from the media. It's the conversations you have with, like, your coworkers and best friends about food. You know, it's when you open up social media and an influencer is telling – it doesn't even have to be an influencer, but I'm just – doing that because it's so common talking about the latest superfood. So I don't ever want to discourage people from being curious and trying new things because otherwise we just stay stuck in the same patterns and it's fun. I love trying new things, but there's a difference between trying new things or, you know, reading about something and thinking I'm not good enough the way I am or, you know, or, or just, you know, those kind of disempowering messages. So I, think that food noise is what is going on externally, but then we take it and we, we create this internal noise from it. And um, like I said, it's we aren't going to be able, like diet culture is a huge problem with food noise. I mean, and, you know, even, and even diet culture using different names too, you know, lifestyle, well, you, you know, yeah. like, plan, whatever, you know, there's, it, you just have to be aware. So that's the first thing is creating an awareness around the food noise. How are you consuming it? Where is it in your life? How is it infiltrating? You know, it could be you have a bunch of books behind you and I'm sure they're amazing, but are there books that like, you know, you see them and they feel like, you know, that they make you feel disempowered around food or bad about yourself or whatever. And so just, so just recognizing the noise and being able to, um, like connect to your own body instead of always think that an expert or someone else knows better than you. So that's an abbreviated version of it. Your book, Elise, is amazing. Everyone needs to get this book, Food Story, Rewrite the Way You Eat, Think, and Live. I really want you to come back because there's still so much more to talk about it. Elise Musellas, check her out. All right, Elise, first of all, tell us a little bit about your podcast before I let you go and then all the ways we can find you in your fantastic book. 
Okay, well, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to read the book and also just having me as a guest. I love the work that you're doing. There's a lot of synergy between us. And since you mentioned my podcast, I've already extended an invitation to you where we'll dig into your food story. So my podcast is called Once Upon a Food Story, and you can listen to it wherever you listen to your podcast and any listening app. And uh, I love it because we get to go into deeper conversations, and I feel like the sharing of the stories is really what connects us all and what's going to heal us too. When we realize like I'm not alone or, you know, we feel less shame and less guilt and less blame, you know, because we understand ourselves better through hearing other people's stories. And I, my website is my name, elisemucellus.com. And I'm most active on Instagram, which is now my name at Elise Mucellus. And yeah. And then I also, you know, we talked a lot about food and mood. I just put on my website a a downloadable food mood pantry guide, which has a nice list of, um, you know, the foods in those seven moods that I have been writing about. And so that it'll probably show up as a pop-up and being really annoying. I'm so sorry, but download that pantry guide because it's really great. Oh my God, your page is gorgeous, by the way. Everybody has to follow you and you spell it uh, E-L-I-S-E-M-U-S-E-L-E-S. What a gorgeous page. Okay, go on. And well, now we're doing so much video. That's a whole new terrain for me. Um, And um, my book is wherever books are sold. You know, if you want to support your local bookstore and they don't have it, you can ask them, but it's also available online in the major book store, booksellers. Well, it's incredible. Elise, I had so much fun. I want to have you back. I'm I'm such a fan and I am over the moon excited to come on your show. Again, the book, Food Story, Rewrite the Way You Eat, Think and Live. Elise, thank you so much. Thank you again. And thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.